0: hello and welcome to the practice as research seminar series um, i know it's bright and early this morning um it's nine o'clock here in the uk um it's great to have you all here from wherever you are in the world um i'm really excited um, because we've actually got um, somebody from the other side of the globe and and that's really exciting um, I'm really, really um, pleased that Sonia um, agreed to do this session for us, which is why it's nine o'clock here. Um, it's, she's actually currently in Australia and it's something like seven o'clock in the evening for her. Um, So first of all, thank you very much Sonia for joining us. Um, Sonia is going to be talking today about um, her work um, and ethical considerations in embodied practice. Um, Dr. Sonia Price is a dancer, a photographer, a videographer and an interdisciplinary artist. From the about 1960s to the present day, Sonia has trained and danced extensively in ballet and contemporary dance, initially in the UK, but then also settling in Australia in 1994. She studied classical ballet um, at Elmhurst Ballet School, the Royal Ballet School and the London School of Contemporary Dance, as well as the Laban Centre in London. Sonia's doctoral research, Ageism and the Mature Dancer, examined how senior professional dancers aged over 40 still perform and navigate that they the, the dance by date perpetuated within Western dance and consumer culture's obsession with youth. I mean, I must say, I it's it's really fascinating to hear Sonia's talk and and you know, to, to sort of to hear Sonia um relate to her research and, and relate to ageism um, when you know I'm obviously already on the wrong side of 40 myself. Um and suddenly you're no longer this kind of spring chicken that you always think you are. Um, So here we go. Um, I'm going to hand over to Sonia, um, just to say we will be having opportunities later to obviously discuss Sonia's work with her. Um, So if you do have any questions, um, make a note of them and we will raise them with her um, in the discussion session afterwards. But with no further ado, Sonia, I'm handing over to you.
1: Right. So I'm on the screen. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole, for that lovely introduction. Hello, everyone. Um, Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, And as Nicole said, I'm coming to you all the way from Australia. Um, So I'm gonna start sharing my screen, hopefully. Um, Hang on a second. Right, okay. I think we're there, okay, here we go. Right, so still moving, ethical considerations in embodied practice. So this is me. Um, As Nicole said, I am a dancer. I'm an older dancer. I trained extensively in the UK. Um, I'm a 65 year old dancer. Um, And after teaching for many years in Australia, um, I'm now back to being a pupil. Um, So I take ballet three times a week, sometimes four. Um, And that really started back in 2013 because I wanted to um, understand what it's like to dance with an older body. So um, being in my 50s when I started this research, um, it it, uh, made me realize that I I was a certain age and I was ready to understand and experience the perceived negativity of flawed bodies and ageism. So in my 50s, I really became interested in aging studies and how discriminatory Western dance culture is towards dancers aged over 35. And that's mostly within classical ballet companies, but slightly less so in contemporary dance, though some dancers would definitely disagree. The considered norm is to retire from performing at, say, 35 or 40. But we know many choose to end their careers earlier, as the stigma of ageing for a dancer is experienced much earlier compared with sedentary life. So retirement for some is sometimes due to injury. Some are starting a family or already have a family or others are just being eased out of the major roles. So in 2013, the research began. I decided to investigate ageism within Western dance culture and to find out who these older dancers were, where they were located, and to find out why they were not more mainstream and why ageism in the field of dance is so ingrained. The aging body is a taboo issue in society, let alone in Western dance culture. Therefore, emphasizing their craft and creativity through screen dance invites a broader audience to look beyond aesthetics, to give recognition to their embodied artistry. Western dance culture is body-centric, an art form centered on the youthful. Therefore, the corporeal difference of the older dancer becomes a political stand in an art form that views perfection foremost. Indeed, the concept of the ideal dancer's form is contentious. My focus is also on their digital presence. I use film to concentrate on the corporeality of these dancers, demonstrating that the aging body can be viewed positively despite an art form that prejudices decline. So film can be used to illustrate these dancers who are often sidelined, the invisible dancer, considered surplus to use, the disenfranchised other. So who inspired my research? Okay, there are three dancers that, these are well-known dancers um, who went on to dance in their 60s, 70s and 80s. And of course, Margaret Fontaine, Martha Graham, Merce Cunningham. More recently, Mikhail Baryshnikov and prima ballerina Alessandra Ferri, who retired in her 40s, only to return in her early 50s and is performing the world to greater acclaim. So naturally I wondered how many others were there still performing and would they be interested in taking part in a survey So Kilden Northcote, New Zealand and these are just a few of the dancers Louise Lecavalier the punk princess of contemporary dance Charlotte Offerham Sweden Jennifer Jackson the UK the extraordinary Australian dance artists and without shadow of a doubt 108-year-old Eileen Kramer, Australia's greatest, oldest living dancer. But the other great, great inspiration is NDT3, known as Netherlands Dance Theatre, created by Yui Kilian in 1991. And he created it for dancers between 40 and death. He really believed that the waste of dancers was criminal and that these dancers had so much more to give. Sadly, the company folded in 2006 due to funding, perhaps another form of ageism. Dancers and educators Mark Edward and Helen Newell discuss the mature dancers' corporeal ability, their embodied experience and maturity and state how undervalued their presence is and would be if they were totally alienated they say a dancer's body is a phenomenological breathing curriculum vitae. As we know, the dance world upholds strict age limits, the idealization of the perfect youthful body. Dancing past 40 is rare and there are exceptions such as Alessandra Ferry mentioned previously, who is showing the aging body can still move beautifully. Life experience is slowly becoming an appreciated asset, but youth and agility and beauty continue to be the qualities upheld as the standards expected of classical ballet, with the bar being slightly lower for contemporary dancers. The independent sector has been more welcoming to older dancers who wish to pursue their careers, but many state that finding work or even being programmed, Is an ongoing issue. Dancer and academic Mark Edwards states, dance needs older visible dancing bodies which can dislodge and move aging and ability discrimination. As with all activism, visibility of aging is needed for it to become normalized. Dance en ensemble The corporeal difference of the older professional dancer becomes a political stance in an art form that we know demands perfection. Therefore, it opens debate about the corporeality of these dancers who still wish to pursue a career and who need sympathetic choreographers to pursue work for them. Sorry, produce work for them. We need to see older dancers represented in our companies just as is mirrored within Western society. Audiences have shown greater appreciation of being represented on theatre stages, and this has been researched by the newest mature dance company, en Ensemble, created in Berlin in 2015 and fully funded by the German government. This company Sorry, this company has found that great choreographers are eager to make work for these exemplar dancers. The company is now on its second iteration and will receive further federal funding of 2.8 million euros from 2023 to 2027. This is an incredible coup. They are currently touring all over Europe. Jump onto Instagram and follow them. They are extraordinary. Embodiment. It goes without saying that dancers over 40 carry years of dance training and embodied knowledge. Dance scholar Elizabeth Schweger states, ageing should be valued as an embodied accumulation of knowledge and wisdom, which has traditionally been largely neglected in Western cultures. Western dance culture continues with the concept of the ideal body whilst wrestling as suggested by dance scholar Anne Cooper Albright in mining the dance field, that lived bodies strain at the seams of a culture's ideological fabric. And here we have, I adore this this photograph. This is the incredible Swedish dancer Siv here in her mid seventies, performing in Hegi Hagenrud's subliminal work, use my body while it is still young. And Hege was very, very conscious that there was no work being made for older dancers, or that even older dancers, where the hell were they? So she produced this beautiful work, which later was shown at Dance Umbrella in London in 2016. Dance scholar Kathleen White states, ageism saturates culture in which the dancer has to accept the undefended aspects of age. So, it became apparent to me that my that to create dance films showcasing the creativity of older dancers meant that they could have a digital presence. They can be seen anywhere, anytime, due to the accessibility of social media, dance film festivals, art galleries, your iPhone. They could be seen. Screen dance is a new genre that allows an interconnectivity, bringing diversity and inclusion through dance films. So though the digi- through the digital dance, it has literally moved from the theater stage, taking dance outside its usual parameters to absolutely any location. So my creative research as a visual artist uses dance films to celebrate the mature dancers' corporeal difference, and to demonstrate that their embodied practice, rather than their age, defines them. So, I'm introducing interpret Inappropriate Behaviour. This work was created to highlight that these senior professional dancers are still performing. Screen dance gives them a platform to be rediscovered and to create visibility For an undervalued, underrepresented and discriminated demographic. The work is composed of eight solos by eight senior professional dancers, four from the UK and four from Australia, and at the time of filming in 2015 they were aged between 55 and 65 and all four of them had got extraordinary careers behind them. It was filmed and edited by myself and then made into the one dance film and i'll just show you a trailer of the work which is very short Mm by using dance film as the medium, I wanted to engage a new audience to bring a new connectivity to viewing dancers and aging, and to demonstrate the positivity of aging by showing their embodied knowledge through movement, highlighting their craft, and to create a corporeal autonomy. Whoops, okay. So my process here is featuring my own body as the object. In, the, in my dance films, um, has been an interesting, I would say challenging investigation through improvisation to highlight the subject of aging. As described by dancer and scholar Celeste Snober, the process of improvisation is an embodied ritual which leads us into not knowing and ultimately into knowing. So often I have no real idea how I'm going to choreograph a performance, so improvisation is a way of discovering whilst releasing pressure on the mind and letting flow happen in the body. Editing, too, could be seen as another form of choreography, as I often splice together pieces of footage to create interest. Seeing older women in film continues to be rare, let alone featured in dance film projects. By creating these dance films, it's a demonstration to feature, as described by age studies scholar Marguerite morgenroth Gillette, age on the body. This issue is doubly loaded for women and mirrored for older dancers but it is also a means to exhibit that aging can be viewed positively on screen, as opposed to being negatively compared as sociologist Elizabeth Markson suggests as symbols of decline. Indeed, feminist scholar Peggy Phelan states, underrepresented communities can be empowered by enhanced visibility So I use film to highlight the subject of aging, not to affront an audience, but to empower and enhance appreciation of the lived experience of an older dancer. Utterly in or utterly appropriate, depending on your way of thinking, um, this is the first film I, I made and edited that featured my aging body as a subject, and object of discussion. This was my first investigation of filming myself and it was very confronting, both bodily and mentally. Um, And I did receive some assistance from a colleague um, as the effect that we wanted was to be as close as possible to a female dancers body as she moved. This has been screened large scale in two art galleries in Brisbane. Um, And we had some beautiful comments and what was interesting, um, because obviously a lot of young people came in to see this particular body of work. um, And so many of them said they did not see age. They saw creativity and I thought "That's, that's beautiful. So there's hope for us yet. So from here, Elizabeth Markson states The portrayal of the female body in this medium, film, provides a kind of everyday politics of emotion and feeling that contours spectators' real, lived emotional experiences. And I think we need to look beyond and realise that representation of the elder body gives a more balanced societal view of the dance world. Age, which I created in 2019, um, was filmed by Kelly McElvenny this time and edited by me. Again, it was really scrutinizing the aging body, um, using myself up close and personal to reveal this older body. Um, Assisted by Kelly with her, if any of you know cameras, she used a dolly prop on her camera, which really allowed her to come right up close to me. Again, it was improvised and often just one take. So, And all of these films you can find on on Vimeo. Um, And then finally, Terrain, Dancing on Stolen Land, uh, which was filmed in the Australian Outback, taking invisibility again as the subject matter, the older woman juxtaposed against an ancient landscape, devoid of the First Nations people, a silent invisibility, totally improvised one afternoon in the Outback, shot around one location, an old stockyard, which could be read as a metaphor for aging, rusty, abandoned, broken. And I'll just show you a clip from the film. Here we go. And it has an unusual sound uh, score. Okay, thank you so much for
0: um, attending and listening. Thank you thank you very much Sonia thank you I mean this is absolutely um exciting and it's it's really really um you know really interesting to kind of hear you talk about embodiment in in such a um in such a way I mean I'm not obviously from a from a dance background myself so you know hearing um embodiment in you know being talked about in these terms is is really really fascinating um abs- you know so um a, a round of applause there was some virtual round of applause as well already so thank you thank very you. much for First of all, um, just to say, I'd like to kind of kick off a bit of a conversation with Sonia first, but if you do have any questions, um, please raise your virtual hand or your real hand, unmute yourself, switch on your camera, get involved in the discussion. um, And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, please use um, the chat function and I will raise the questions on your behalf. Um, but it'd be nice for for Sonia to be able to to connect with all of us in in some ways. Um, may I ask you, Sonia, to stop sharing your screen so yeah. we can see a little bit okay. more of you. Yeah. Perfect. Is that better? Hang on thank okay. you yes absolutely thank you so let me kick off this conversation first of all i mean obviously in terms of um you know the, the sort of the, i've got two questions um that relate to the practice as research network specifically the first one um relates to um how you can sort of navigate the space between being an artist and activist and being a researcher so that's kind of one you know area of of you know I'd like to discuss and then the other area I'd like to discuss is you know the ethics i mean obviously there are ethical issues with people's bodies not being used because they are considered as too old um but but, but what else did you um, encounter in your research in terms of ethical issues that you had to navigate um by specifically inviting um, people of, you know, with older bodies um, of a particular sort of age, um, in in terms of engaging in your research, should we start with that per- with that sort of yeah. ethical conundrum first? Okay. Well, to be honest, um, every every
1: conference or, or dance conference I've been to, I've always been the elephant in the room um, because generally speaking most people don't care about older dancers they're not interested but things have really really changed um since the elixir festival in london in 2014 and charlotte Offerholm's age on stage um, and of course dance on ensemble in um, berlin people are really beginning to realize that these older dancers you know were young ones but they are even more embodied embellished um full of life experience so people are beginning to wake up to the fact that um They're extraordinary artists. Um, And as I said, um, Dance Ensemble had done a a survey and the majority of audiences that came to see them dance were generally people over 40, let's say, and who were delighted to see themselves represented on stage. So I thought that was something I hadn't really thought about. Well, that's wonderful. Um, Ethically, most of the dancers in my research are known dancers. Um, So not to be confused with community dance, these are dancers who have trained, who have professional bodies. They are the trained dancer. Um, so they, in fact, they weren't that hard to find because it kind of snowboarded. You know, someone would say, oh, well, do you know so-and-so? And, and I go, oh, no, oh, I don't actually. And, and so it would go from there. Um, and then, of course, there were some extraordinary, very famous dancers. I mean, obviously, I interviewed um, the late Gerard Lemaitre and Sabine Kufferberg from NDT3 um, because they were right at the beginning in 1991 of being the first company to have older dancers and to be extraordinary. Um, And so I've met some incredible dancers who are dancing with new knees, new hips, one with a complete ankle reconstruction, age does not stop them. Um, I think we just have to educate audiences that there are these extraordinary artists out there, but probably not so much the audience, it's the programmers, they're the people who are either allowing people to dance or not. So it is quite contentious. Yeah.
0: I, I mean one of the things...
1: sticky situations.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, it's <laughs> interesting to hear that you are saying that yeah. you know professional dancers actually continue dancing professionally after serious surgery. I mean, a hip replacement yeah. or a knee pla- replacement isn't something that you would do on an everyday basis, oh. is it? So yeah, no. I mean, that's 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 really interesting. But also I kind of wonder um the ethics I mean of engaging with um participants who are obviously known in the field. Who you know as famous people? Who you introduce yeah. us as famous people? Yeah. Um, and and you you labeling them as as aging dancers. I mean, I, I guess society is labeling them as well, and 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 they probably yeah. label themselves as well. But where is the, you know? Again, this is kind of an ethical issue, really. You know, yeah. to, You don't keep them anonymous. You don't you don't keep them hidden away. Um, no. you know? So so how do you how do you navigate that, that space? That's a very interesting point,
1: uh, because I know that there have been several people who have done research on all the dancers and not named them. My premise was to name these dancers um, to alert a lot of people who know these dancers who are kind of going, gosh, I didn't know they were still dancing. Um, and people like Arlene Kramer, I interviewed her when she was um, five years ago. So I'm just trying to think she's probably one hundred and three or something at the time. And she said, you know, I don't know how old I am and I don't really care. I mean, I just want to dance. And and." Uh, another extraordinary dancer in the States, um, whose name I've completely forgotten, um, who basically said, I'm going to dance whether you like it or not, because I live to dance. And I think a lot of them, it's passion. Um, And, you know, that kind of generation, they didn't learn anything else. You know, that's what they want to do. They want to dance forever, you know, until they literally exit stage right. Um, So ethically, I suppose, I think I, I very much wanted to give them a voice because dancers speak with their bodies. You, you rarely hear a dancer talk. So to then interview 37 dancers and to hear them give their opinions on their fitness, um, what other people thought about them as older dancers, I mean, it was a very long list, um, but I thought it was very important to give them a voice. I mean, we know they're fantastic dancers, but we don't hear them speak. Um, and I also come from a background, I mean, I'm in my 60s, I mean, when I was a young dancer, I mean, it was always a case of, don't talk, dance, nobody cares what you've got to say. So I really feel it's important now for these dancers to speak out, because the dancers of today who were 20 and 30 years old will one day be older dancers, but let's we're hoping they will just be dancers, no old or young in, you know, in front of it, that's what we're looking at. And I think it, um, we really need to um, to push that, you know?
0: Do you think in terms of like activist work, it's more helpful to have the names of the big, big dancers behind you? Um, I, I, I think so. Um,
1: I mean, because they are, most of them are known. Um, I mean, obviously they come from all different countries um, and some I knew better than others. Um, So, I mean, I think it was very exciting to find that um, these dancers were still going. I mean, realistically, um, I met Louise Lecavalier in 2013 at the Adelaide Festival, um, and I had seen her in 1988 at Sadler's Wells and been blown away by this, this extraordinary woman. And to then see her at 55, dancing um, you know and I, I asked a lady in the audience beside me I said you know do you know how old this dancer is and she said no idea I said well if I told you she was 55 would you believe me and she said no I don't think so so these dancers have got extraordinary bodies um, but they also have they've lived a life so they can bring so much to a performance by raising an eyebrow or, or whatever you know that they are incredibly subtle performers um, and I think we have to I mean, obviously, we love young dancers. Don't get me wrong, because I'm being ageist in in a, in a way. Because I love young dancers because they are fantastic. But you can't expect those kind of tricks and you know elasticity to go on. Um, so older dancers bring other things to the performance. Um, and I think you know when you watch Eileen, who is still dancing 108. I mean, sure, she's not moving a whole pile, but what she does, you you can't take your eyes off her. So it is very very interesting. Um, And I think, yeah, we we need to make it a a level playing field if it's
0: possible. Can I just say, I mean, it's interesting that you say that we can't expect older dancers to do like, you know, um, the the things that younger dancers do because obviously the bodies are different. Um, Yeah, yeah. But actually you have shown us in your presentation a photograph of a dancer who you said was in her 70s, um, mid 70s, doing effectively what looks like a plank. (laughs) And quite yes. frankly, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know
1: it's incredible, incredible. But I guess the fact of the matter is they have moved from, let's say, four or five years of age and they've never stopped moving. So they are incredible advertisements for keeping fit, keep moving. You know, like I said, still moving, still moving. So not only is the body moving, the brain is doing the same. So, yeah. um, you know, um, Oh, look, it blows my mind. Honestly, I mean, a few years ago, I was doing ballet classes in London with a wonderful teacher called Roger Tully, who sadly is no longer with us. And the class is full of mature ballerinas in their 60s who were all asking how they can perfect something. And it just, my head exploded because I thought, this is incredible. And it just shows you, you never know it all. There's still so much more to gain and different ways of doing things and presenting them
0: well in a way that leads quite nicely back to my other question I had about about you know navigating that space between being a researcher a practitioner and an activist and how you make sense of that triangle and and where you sit I mean looking at the films for example to me the films looked very much um aesthetically beautiful and really impactful in that respect so they to me they look more like pieces of art than say (laughs) pieces of research um and I'm not saying that in any in any way yeah. to be judgmental but th- but this is just kind of you know how do you navigate that space really oh gosh it's really hard um I think
1: um I, I became a visual artist in um 2011 um which gave me a very different way of thinking um because dance can sometimes be very very negative um in some respects, like you're constantly trying to get somewhere which you never can. Whereas as a visual artist, I find there's so many more traject- trajectories and different ways of doing things. So um, the research, I look, writing, I, I hate writing, I'm a dancer. I'd much rather dance for you um, than sit down and write an essay. So that was very challenging, very challenging. And um, having to learn a, an academic language, my head exploded. Um, but to make the films happen, quite by accident, um, I had a tutor. Um, I was learning to be an etcher, and um, he didn't think my work was of a very high standard. So he said, "Go and make a film." So I was so angry. I went and made a film of me literally printing and etching, which was highly comical, um, and that set me on a way of thinking. Right, I can say probably more in a film than I can probably in an essay. So with the eight dancers who um, Basically, I sent them a small film of me doing some movements. And I asked them to emulate them or not. Um, and then that was quite a big thing to do because I thought, you know, they could just go, no thanks, we're not interested. But they all did. I couldn't believe it. Um, so I went and filmed the eight dancers, one take. And it was very interesting because the classical dancers were very upset. They wanted to do at least four. I said, No, you can only do one. And the contemporary dancers were very, very sorted and went. Done. So then we had these eight fantastic solos, which we so we showed in a gallery, large scale, very exciting. Um, again, people were just completely mystified and, and excited looking at these extraordinary bodies. Um, and then I edited it into a film, um, the one piece. Um, and then strangely, because I didn't want it to be about me, but then I thought, well, I am that age group. So why don't you try and do some film on yourself? Um, which when you see utterly inappropriate, you will see it is it is very inappropriate. It's me very scantily dressed, dancing around doing stuff. Um, And it was to provocate, you know, to say, this is an older dancer, this is what you look like. So. Yeah, I don't know if I've answered that correctly, but it's been a it's been a no, crazy it's, journey. It's
0: really interesting to hear you talk about the process of it. So you know, I mean, there's a, um, a question in the chat box which kind of relates to what you were just touching upon, mm. um, and is kind of trying to dive into that a little bit further. And it's around um, you know ethical considerations. Um, if mm. you yourself are the research participant, if you're doing research effectively on yourself. But I'm I'm not quite sure whether whether this is the right way of looking at it, or whether it may be a better way of looking at it that you are doing practice as research, as in you are you're not a research yeah. participant, you are the practitioner who's doing the research. Maybe it's more like along the lines of ethnographic pieces of work in a way. Um, but how do you how do you um, reconcile um, the ethics in that space? Right. Well again, coming from a visual arts perspective, it's quite
1: different. Um, we use practice as research pretty much it's sort of everything. You know, anything you'll do, like I wake up in the morning, oh, that's practice as research. You know, I mean it could be absolutely anything. Uh and I think originally the idea for utterly inappropriate was I, I did a residency, I had to make a film in three days. And and being a dancer, you're like, okay, you've got three days, make a film. That's what I did, edited it, da-da-da. Um, I didn't expect it to be. I expected it to be part of a body of work, but not to be actually exhibited. Um, and it's gone on to be included in film festivals here, there, and everywhere. Um, so ethically, um, I'm not really sure how to answer that. I mean, I think um, there comes a point where, like I said, I am that age too. So if I don't, if I couldn't get other dancers, why not use your own body? Um, I guess that's where I'm coming from and as a visual artist that kind of is like put yourself out there (laughs) it's like walking the plank you think okay but then you have to sort of from a dance perspective you try not to look too hard into it you have to look at it as a visual artist and that's very different then I can deal with it because it is very confronting you look at it and just go oh that's horrible
0: but it's not that's just, my body <laughs> yes well um, I was just saying I mean no. I, this this is something you know you're putting yourself out there in a way that makes yeah. you probably terribly vulnerable um and yeah you know you're exposing yourself and obviously dance is also in itself quite an an, an, an emotional um, way of, of of practicing embodiment so you're putting yes. yourself into the movements as well not just it you know so yeah I can imagine how nav- how difficult that must be yeah, it's like wearing two, having two
1: heads and two hats, um, and you literally have to sort of put one away and just concentrate on the content, which is, as I said, showing an older dancer doing whatever. Um, and if it, you know, when it's show, like all these films are shown very large scale um, in galleries, and it, it does have a very um, yeah, it's really interesting to sit in and and hear people's comments um, to see a large you know, old person on the screen, (laughs) you know, but there comes a point where it just, they're looking at movement and whatever else. Um, And because we don't see enough of older people in magazines, on the television, you know, we don't, a lot of people don't know what an older body looks like, let alone a dancer's body, you know? So when you show a picture of like Siv Anders, people either look at it or run away and go, oh my God, but that is a body that is so highly tuned. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, it really is. So um, and and they're very willing. I mean, as a dancer, that's it. Your body is your
0: tool. Yes. Um, so. You can't hide. Can I just ask, did you get ethical clearance for your research? Did you have to get ethical clearance? How, how did you how did you navigate this Absolutely. clearance process?
1: Absolutely. Before it could even um, go ahead, I had to get ethical clearance, uh, particularly for all the interviews I did um for the survey every dancer had to obviously um say that it was okay um in the end we only used um eight dancers for the for the degree as such but um i have used since then a lot of the comments have gone into papers and uh in fact we've got a, a chapter coming out next year oh no it's this year um which will mention some of the work but yes ethical clearance absolutely griffith would have um locked me in a cupboard and not let me out,
0: uh, unless I got ethical clearance. But did you know exactly what to, as in, you know, like, for somebody who's potentially starting out on on, on a project like this, um, they may not necessarily know what their outcome is, they may not necessarily know what, how, you know, where they're going to go. Did you know straight from the beginning that you were going to make films?
1: That's a good question. I have to can't remember, actually. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was, oh, 23rd, let me just think. Um, yeah, I think, well, you know how it is when you start a degree. You come up with this concept, you know, um, mm. and you you never really know where it's going to take you. No. Um, so I can safely say That's um, true. I ended up doing things that I did not expect to do. So I, I as I said, with the eight dancers, that was that was fantastic. But I didn't imagine that it would go further on to then using myself um, as another example. Um, So, yeah, and I think in a visual arts degree, you never quite know where you're going to go. And and often in visual arts, they they love the journey much more than the end product. (laughs) Yes. So, you know.
0: I think, that's- I mean, that's probably um, true for most practice as research work that, you know, people are mm-hmm. about the process as much as about the final output. Yeah actually, a lot of the time, I mean, in my own work as well, I, I do get ethical clearance before I start a project. But then I don't know exactly where it's going to take me. So I basically just yeah. say, well, this is what I definitely know. Um, can we just clear this part? And once I've gone through that stage, I can yeah. then go back as an with an amendment and say, well, actually, now I know where I'm going next. So I've got a sort of, you know, like a, a phases um, you know, approach to, to, to ethical, yeah. approach, I suppose.
1: I mean, I think obviously when I started, um, because I, I did a um, an honours degree just before where I had three dancers. Um, and then when it went on to become the doctorate, um, I, I, there were so many dancers. It got to the point where I just thought this could go on forever, um, <laughs> you know? Um, and also, I mean, for me, it was amazing to, I think the generosity, that really, really was fantastic. So many dancers just wanted to help. And, and be involved. And I thought that was that was wonderful. I mean, dancers generally will pretty much do anything for nothing. I mean, they're just so generous and kind. Um, and to work with, you know, two of those dancers were from the original London Contemporary Dance Theatre Company who I watched as a young dancer. And to work with these people was, it was mind blowing, you know, um, trying to contain your nerves, you know, filming these people who are so professional. You know, they just did the job. The rest of it was editing and, and that was that was great fun. I, I can safely say I didn't know how to edit a film. I learned, um, you know, it's been an incredible um, experience, the whole thing, but um, yeah, I think just these dancers, I think just wanting so much to let people know that there are these incredible artists um, and we need to see them on our stages more, 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 you know, it's happening, but we need more.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Sonia. This has been an incredible hour. I can't believe that it's already gone. Um, I just want to say again, thank you so, so much for for having been here Um, for the benefit of anybody um, who's joining us. Um, The next session will be on the 1st of February um, from 2pm UK time, and this will be Federica Manfredi talking about hooks and pain, ethical concerns in practice-based research on body suspensions. Um, In case you don't know about body suspensions, it's a practice where you get hooked, um, the body gets hooked onto ropes and pulley systems, Um, and and it's really, really fascinating work that she does, and obviously the ethics of that is something that we have to discuss in, in, in more detail. Um, Also, um, um, if you want to register, um, I will share the Eventbrite link for that. Um, Also, um, if you want to catch up a little bit more with the um, research practices research network, um, I put into the chat box several links, but also find the links here on the on the slide um, to the YouTube channel, the BASPR channel, where all of the recordings are available. Um, And also there's the practices research website um, and my email address if you would like to get in touch. So, again, Sonia, thank you so much for having been here. Thank you. Uh, your evening with us um it's it's been a been pleasure really enlightening and I'm so excited to to have had you um and I hope that our paths cross again soon indeed thank you so much and thank you Nicole and thank you
1: everybody for listening I really appreciate your time thank you so much from Australia bye-bye <laughs>